Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 32 years and counting, doing this radio show for 10 and a half years with the great Steve Paulette. Of all the years and all the shows, more than 500 shows probably now, I got to tell you, my guest at 8.15 is, in my opinion, for me, the greatest guest we've ever had. Oh, my God, I'm of spilkes, as we say in Yiddish. Jumping out of my skin. Dr. Clapper. You have got to be kidding me. My guest, it's truly, this is beyond my wildest dreams. My guest is Mark Spitz, the Olympic legend. We don't have that many Jewish idols, icons in the world of sports. We got plenty of doctors and Nobel Prize winners and physicists. But to have athletes, and particularly a swimmer, oh my God. He's my favorite athlete of all time. And the fact that he's going to be my guest is shocking. In 1972, he won seven gold medals in swimming in the Munich Olympics. And every single one of those events, he set a world record. I'm fully aware of who Michael Phelps is. But God bless Michael Phelps. For me, the inspiration to do so much with my life. And I think about all the things I've done with my life and that I do including this radio. I'm a surgeon. I have patents. I've written books. I mean, the list goes on. I'm an inventor. I sculpt in marble. And I'm an orthopedic surgeon. It's awesome just to be able to do so many things with your life because you feel like you can challenge yourself and do it. There's no doubt in my mind that inspiration comes from Mark Spitz. His life, his career fascinates me and inspires me. But then I find out my love of Hawaii and surfing. I'm one of the few Howleys. That's the affectionate, not affectionate term for white people in Hawaii. A Howley. That's what I am. But I have a surfboard in the locker in Waikiki. When I found out that Mark Spitz's swimming career started as a child. His childhood was in Waikiki. It blew my mind. Yep. From age two to age six, this is 1952 to 1958, before Hawaii becomes a state. Mark Spitz is growing up there. Listen to this quote from Time Magazine interviewing Mark Spitz's mother in 1968 about... Her little boy, Mark Spitz, growing up in Waikiki. She said, you should have seen that little boy dash into the ocean every day. He'd run like he was trying to commit suicide. There's so many questions I want to ask him. Who remembers your life age two to age six? But it must have inspired him big time to know that he's special in the water. And it starts 
in Honolulu, in Waikiki. So it made me think all week, where in the world of art, where in the world of sports, do we see that magical childhood of growing up in Waikiki, in Honolulu? Well, first of all, listen to this song, which will... Actually, I got two songs for you to listen to. This is the great Ricky Nelson. Waikiki. That's Ricky Nelson. But this is the most beautiful song about the magic of Waikiki. And it's by the Beamers, born and raised in Hawaii. It's called Honolulu City Lights. Each me back again. I encourage all of you. You want a bucket list? Everyone will tell you to go to all the other islands, and I know them all, and I've been to them all, including Molokai. But there's nothing more beautiful than the south shore of Oahu, where Waikiki is. Black Rock, Kahala, just gorgeous. And there's never, well, at least I'm told, legend is there's never been a shark attack on the south shore of Oahu. And that's what I'm talking about is this place. So where in art do you see that magic of Waikiki? Well, it's in this guy. You know him as Bruno Mars. But he was born, his name was Peter Hernandez. When I see Bruno Mars is from Waikiki. And it launched him. You're going to hear his story in this show because it's fascinating how it had an effect on him. It still does. And what about in sports? Well, the greatest swimmer that predated Mark Spitz, who came from Waikiki, was Duke Kahanamoku. Everybody knows you hear me talk about him as a surfer because he is the father of surfing. But before that, he was in five Olympic Games as a swimmer. Wait till you hear how he learned how to swim in the waters of Waikiki. His dad might be arrested for child abuse at this point. These stories are just, I cannot wait to share them with you, and I just cannot wait till 8.15. I got no sleep. I'm tired. And yesterday, because I was so, I'm so excited to talk to Mark Spitz, but I'm also tired because yesterday was a big day in the operating room. And there's one case in particular I want to take you into the operating room with me to tell you about a magical moment in surgery yesterday for me, doing a very, one of the more complicated hip surgeries because this 55-year-old man was born with a completely deformed ball and socket joint since birth. 
and it eventually wore out in a very, very bad way, leaving his leg an inch shorter on, one, on the right side versus the left side. And my challenge as a surgeon is not only to fix his hip, but to see if I can give him some length back. But here's the problem. His nerve, his sciatic nerve, which makes your foot go up and down and gives innervation and power to your leg, never grew to be the right length. So how, how do I give him the right amount of length without shutting his nerve off? I got to take you into the operating room, what I did yesterday. I thought about this case for weeks, and then it finally came to pass yesterday. And it was awesome. It's awesome. What a privilege to be a surgeon, to work on. There's no owner's manual. It's not like you can take your car to the dealer and page 27 or the cylinders, piston rings, spark plugs, because a man made that car. May have used machines, but a man made the car. There's an owner's manual. I got news for you. As a surgeon for 32 years, there's no owner's manual. But to take him to surgery with the confidence of 16,000 surgeries I've done to open up this deformed joint and make it perfect. I mean, I'm still, I don't take drugs. I don't need to. I'm so high from yesterday's surgery, I don't even need any sleep, even though I do. But I'm tired, but a good tired because of the feeling of accomplishment that I had yesterday in the operating room. And I'm going to tell you what I did to make sure his nerve would, was all right. It's a simple tool. It's a simple thing I did, but so elegant to make sure his nerve was right. The clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But I want to take you into the operating room at some point during the show through that incredible moment that I had yesterday in the operating room. Clapper vision going to be about James Harden and his hamstring. Look at what happened. They lost because he wasn't 100%. Why could he not play? What exactly is your hamstring? Well, it's a fascinating muscle to me for one reason. It's because it goes along. If you feel the back of your thigh right now, whether you're sitting down driving or sitting in your house, Feel your tush, feel your buttock, your gluteus maximus, but feel the back of your thigh. Feels like those muscles go north-south straight from Canada to Mexico, right? Like the 405 freeway. No. Those muscles that make up your hamstring, particularly the biceps femoris muscle, that muscle crosses the back of your thigh diagonally. Now, why would God give us a muscle that doesn't just drop straight down from your pelvis to your knee? Why does it have to go diagonal? Well, here's a clapper vision. You know what a top is? When I grew up, we had these tops that you could spin. You'd wrap a string around them, and then you'd throw that top, and it would start spinning because the string is loaded onto the top, kind of like a bottle cap kind of like threads of a screw at a diagonal. The angle is at a diagonal because that allows for twist. That's what allows you to rotate. Remember Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig for the Dodgers 
terrible hamstring injuries. Well, James Harden has one because he can't twist if he's got a torn hamstring. So that's a clapper vision. That's a diagonal muscle. Clapper vision. But let's listen to a little bit about the story of Bruno Mars. The little kid from Hawaii, from Waikiki, birthing one of the biggest talents ever to come out of Honolulu. What's my style? I'm a singer. I'm just a singer. Hello, guys. And it's the way he sings his love songs that put Mars into orbit just two years ago. But Grenade and Just the Way You Are both reached number one on the Billboard charts, becoming two of the best-selling singles of all time. These sound bites are courtesy CBS this morning, and obviously it's from about 10 years ago, but at least it gives you the history and you hear him speak about growing up in Waikiki. His debut album, Doo-Wops and Hooligans, sold more than 5 million copies. He was Billboard's top male artist last year. And this week, he'll release his second album, called, fittingly enough, Unorthodox Jukebox. At 27, the boy from Hawaii seems to have it all. <laughs> Is it sort of a precarious being on top of the peak? Um... I'm a happy dude, Lee. <laughs> the fact that I even get to feel this at this moment is enough, enough. He was born Peter Jean Hernandez on the island of Oahu to a Puerto Rican father and a Filipino mother. His dad nicknamed him Bruno after a popular wrestler. Bruno then added Mars years later. For him and his five siblings, music was always the family business. That wrestler was Bruno San Martino, if any of you want to know. Boy, was he massive. My dad had this 1950s review show, very Las Vegas style. And my uncle impersonated Elvis, and that was my favorite part of the show. Even when you were two years old? When I was two years old. You know what it was? It was because, especially the young Elvis, like, girls were screaming for him. <laughs> and as a, as a young kid, you're like, I want that. <laughs> And he went for it. Listen to him as a little boy singing uh, the, the classic Elvis song. So when his dad put Bruno on stage, he did the only thing he knew. His mini Elvis was an instant hit. Becoming so popular that little Bruno was given a cameo in the movie Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> Listen to him. And I became a real, real attention whore <laughs> after that. He grew up in Waikiki, but you want to make it big, you got to leave and you got to come to L.A. And he did. At 18, he moved to Los Angeles. He and his brother started a cover band, jokingly called Sex Panther. And he began performing any place that would have him. Places like Pickwick's Pub in L.A.'s San Fernando Valley. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, you finally came back. Right. Been... So were you writing a little bit of your own stuff then or not yet? A little bit. I had a couple tunes that we would try out here. Good um, ones? No, not good ones. <laughs> <laughs> but soon he had inked a deal with Motown Records and left Pickwick's for bigger gigs. Or so we thought. 
Turns out Pickwick's actually left Bruno first. Did you fire me? I thought I left this place. But it gets worse for Bruno Mars. His dream is about to blow up and fall apart. And he really can't go back to Hawaii. It launched him. It gave him the creativity. Listen. Within a few months, Motown had left him too, releasing him from his contract without ever putting out an album. How much of a blow was that when they dropped you? The biggest blow. That was that was a hard phone call to call my mom and, and, and dad and say, I'm no longer a signed artist and I got to rethink this whole thing. Broke, he started going to pawn shops. His guitars were all he had left to sell. Going home to Honolulu was tempting, but he resisted. He can't. You can't go home. You'll never make it if you do. If I moved back to Hawaii, then I, would, I felt like I, I would have never made it back up here. I would have been at the Polynesian Review with a ukulele and an Aloha shirt, probably, singing Elvis tunes again. So he teamed up with two other songwriters, Philip Lawrence and Ari Levine. Their goal, to write a hit song. We knew that we could do it. If we kept going, if we kept trying, if we kept pushing, we were going to write the song that's going to change our lives. And it did. Yeah. I wrote a few songs that changed our lives. You see the jewelry. <laughs> Ari Levine, my best man, one of my closest friends, Norman Steinberg in Englewood, New Jersey, a very religious Jewish guy. His close friend at the temple is Ari Levine's dad. When Ari Levine said, I'm not going to college, I'm coming to L.A. to be in the music business, they could not believe it. One day, I'd love to interview Ari Levine on this show, Steve Paulette. I'll embarrass him beautifully in a good way, <laughs> knowing his dad and his dad's best friend, Norm. Nothing on You, performed with hip-hop artist B.O.B., hit first. Then he co-wrote the CeeLo Green smash, Forget You. Bruno got his second chance at a label, and he made the most of it. Just the Way You Are won a Grammy, one of 13 nominations for him over the past two years, and solidified his status as a star and a heartthrob. The magic of growing up in Waikiki in those waters gives you confidence. And when people say to Bruno Mars, your songs are too sugary, that confidence from the waters of Waikiki allow you to say this. There were some critics that said it was too sugary, too soft, too schmaltzy. They can go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> Does that bother you? I mean, do the critics... It doesn't bother me. It's just... Shut up. You know? You write a song then. That's how I feel. Good for you, Bruno. Exactly. Tell them to go to hell and tell them to shut up. You go write a song. That's the magic. That Waikiki, it's a power it gives you. Coming up next, Mark Spitz is going to be my guest at 8.15, but there's a man 100 years beforehand who became the greatest Olympic swimmer. 
They have something in common. They started in the shores of Waikiki in Honolulu, Hawaii. Wait till you hear this story, the swimming story of the greatest, Duke Kahanamoku. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Magandan Umaga. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Umi ihi bang paciente mo. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. This shit, that ice cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You know who that is. That's the boy from Honolulu, Hawaii. Uptown Funk with Bruno Mars. Because that's what we're talking about today. A childhood, a magical childhood in Waikiki. Because my guest at 815 launched his swimming career from the shores of Waikiki, the great Mark Spitz. But a hundred years beforehand, a man who embodies the goodness of life. We call it the spirit of aloha. None other than Duke Kahanamoku. This is from a show in 1957, black and white, called This Is Your Life with Ralph Edwards, showcasing the life. But I want you to hear about the swimming life. Five Olympic games he was in. The great Duke Kahanamoku. And now against the background of Diamond Head, Duke, white sand, swaying palm trees, and the warm breeze of the tropic trade winds, let's tell the story, ladies and gentlemen, of a little Hawaiian boy who became the most famous swimmer in the world, participated in five Olympic Games, Duke Kahanamoku. How'd you get the name Duke? Well, it's a long story. Uh, Shorten uh, it for us, <laughs> would you, Duke? <laughs> I'll make it short for you. All right. Well... Well, Kamehameha the Great that uh, was uh, uh, conquered all the islands. Yes, King Kamehameha. So when he brought these islands together, why, uh, Moku means island. Yeah. And uh, Hana means to wood. I see. So when he conquered all the islands, he brought them together. So when my family, or my dad was born, we got the name of Duke Kahana Moku. Wow. Well, your family was descended, uh, from pure Hawaiian nobility. That's right. Your paternal grandparents being related to King Kamehameha. And so, as the eldest of nine children, the name Duke was handed down to you from your daddy. That's right. Where do your brothers and sisters live, Duke? Well, they're all in uh, Honolulu. They are? <laughs> they're here in Hollywood to help us tell your story. Here's Bernice, Sister Bernice, Kapiolani. Listen to Bernice tell the story about how Duke Hanamoku learned how to swim. Listen to what his dad did. Must have been wonderful being raised on a, an island paradise, Duke. Uh, what was Duke's childhood like, Bernice? 
Ralph, Brother Duke's childhood days were spent in the water uh -huh. and on the beach. But my father taught him how the old-fashioned method to swim when he was only four years old. What was your dad's uh, method of teaching you, Duke? Well, uh, that's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> what was I say? But he did it. <laughs> he threw you uh, kind of over the outrigger canoe. Over the, between the, over the canoe between the two outriggers. You know, I was splashing all over the place. Save yourself or drown. Save yourself or drown. What a great way to get a swimming lesson. You're encouraged to uh, play in the surf <laughs> and improve your swimming. You spend all of your spare time at Waikiki Beach. That's right, right, Bernice? That's right. Yes, uh, Ralph, he, Brother Duke did take time off to go to school. And on April 30th, 1900, we all became American citizens. Your childhood years saw Hawaiian history being made, Duke. The abdication of Queen Liliuokalani in 1893, the creation of the Republic of Hawaii in 1894, and the American flag being raised over Hawaii in 1898. And Mark Spitz's family was there before it became a full state, 1952 to 1958. The beach in Waikiki is really your home, and you, Duke, and your brothers take to the sea like ducks to water, outrigger canoeing, body and board surfing, and rowing for the Heilani Rowing Club. That's right. At this time, Duke was actually more fond of rowing than he was of swimming. I know because I rowed against him in many races. <laughs> yeah, the voice of an old competitor, Duke. One of your closest friends here from Honolulu, Hawaii, is George Dad Center, world-famous swimming coach. Listen to this story that this Dad Center says tells about Duke and them taking a stopwatch out to see how fast he really can swim. If Duke was uh, more interested in rowing than in swimming, uh, how did he become the world's best-known swimmer, Dad? Well, after we would go practice rowing, we would go swimming. Mm -hmm. And the various crews would engage in swimming races. And Duke would always win. August 12, 1911 was an important date for Duke, wasn't it, Dad? Yes, it was the first time, very first time, Duke entered a formal swimming meet. And he swam the 100 yards open straightaway. The timers couldn't believe their stopwatches because they showed that he had shattered the world's record, not by fractions, but by whole seconds. Wow. Duke swam 100 yards in 55 and 210 seconds, and the world's record was one minute flat. Broke the record by four seconds. Your great speed attracts the attention of the sports world and you're invited to come to the mainland to participate in the AAU circuit meets. They can't believe that figure of 55-2. The year is 1912 and the Olympic Games are to be held in Stockholm, Sweden. Your electrifying swimming in the AAU meets makes you a natural choice for the United States Olympic swimming team and you sail for Stockholm in the summer of 1912. Here's a funny story about being in Stockholm. Duke's ability to sleep at any time of the day or night almost uh, caused him to lose a crown, didn't it, Mr. McCurry? sure did. <laughs> we were out at the Olympic Stadium to compete in the preliminary trials, and that morning we had taken part in the Olympic parade. Yeah. And uh, after the parade, the Duke went back to the dock to get it to the ship to sleep. <laughs> and when we got to the stadium where the Duke wasn't there, yeah. I had at least you thought he was on the ship. Well, we thought he was on the ship. Uh -huh. So I competed in my event, the breaststroke, and then went back 
and took change my clothes, and Otto Wally was looking all over the place for the Duke, so I had a hunch and went down to the dock on one of those little Swedish streetcars, and the Duke wasn't there, so I went back to the stadium and looked under the stand, and there was the Duke sound asleep. Oh, no. And after waking him up, he just had time to get his suit on, get up to the tank when the gun started his event. Yeah, and guess what happens? Here he is sleeping. He's not practicing beforehand. He's falling asleep. Well, how did he come out there? Well, he won his preliminary and then went on to win the final and shattered the world's record. Wow. Established a new Olympic and new world's record. And then the king of Sweden, King Gustav, crowned him with the laurel wreath that's entitled to the victor of the Olympics. We're all excited how old LeBron James is doing his thing. Listen to what Duke Hanamoko did on his 30th birthday. What made 1920 uh, so memorable for Duke, Mr. Langer? Well, that's the year Duke broke his own world and Olympic record. And you did it on your 30th birthday, Duke. That's right, Dutch. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, it was eight years. We didn't have any Olympics in 1916, so right. it was eight years that you had a chance for that record that Mike told you about. And you did it so easy with that fellow form of yours, these other, you just beat these other fellows easy. <laughs> Well, it's been said that if Duke... <laughs> Take it from Dutch. <laughs> Take it from Dutch. It'd been said that if Duke had really been pressed in his races, Ludi, uh, that his records might have been even greater. Is this true? Well, this guy, he just swam to win. He swims so easy and all, but he, he got in there and he'd watch his competition, but he'd come through with an awful burst and it'll usually win and it was usually a world's record. Usually a world's record. The great Duke Kahanamoku. What a story. But it begins with a magical childhood on the shores of Waikiki. Coming up next, the clinic will be open. I'll take your calls. The number is 877-710-ESPN. And I do want to take you into the operating room with me yesterday. And what a simple, elegant trick I did that I learned many years ago to make sure that the nerve around the hip is okay. And it doesn't involve fancy electronic computers or robots. It's a trick that will always be the most elegant way to see if a nerve works. I'll explain, and I'll take your calls. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. You're not going to leave me alone, are you? Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The Grand Pooba, the Big Kahuna. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. song I play for my last surgery of the day. I begin the day with the harder cases, play Eric Clapton. Then I play George Michael, Gloria Estefan, Carlos Santana, some Van Morrison and Steely Dan, but I end the day with these songs by Sade. 
sets the tempo in the room for me. Eases you out of the operating room. Love it. All right, let's take some calls. The lines are lit up. Let's go to... Where's this person from, Steve? I can't hear you. San Pedro, what's his name? Andy. Andy from San Pedro. I can't see. Uh, we don't have a board anymore that lets me see it. Andy, thanks so much for calling in. How can I help you, young man? Hey, Doc. It's a pleasure to you make my Saturdays every single week. I really <laughs> enjoy it. Thank you. What's your favorite story? Uh, favorite stories are your father saying about measure, you know, twice yeah. and, and, and once yeah. because the dealing with the details, you know, yeah. I'm a disciple of coach Wooden oh, wow. and I believe in dealing with those details. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. My dad, he, he was a simple guy. He finished high school, never went to college, but the wisdom that he, I mean, he used to do the New, the New York times crossword puzzle in pen. He didn't do it in pencil where you can erase it. He used to do it in pen. So college isn't for everybody. I'm sure that was a regret for him, but he took a great amount of pride in knowing that I went to to college. That was really something that he was really so happy about. So that's that's your job in life. Same with me. Uh, uh, My father uh, was a war refugee out of Europe, Croatia, and he had us in a refugee camp, and he's still alive. He's still with us, 91, and he always dreamt. He only had a second-grade education, but... Similar to your dad, he was the he. I feel he's the most you know, educated second grader I know. He's always in current events right. and going on the internet, and and uh, yeah, I, I can relate to it. You know the precision of being a master carpenter to this day. When I was a little kid, holding his hand, I was six years old. He would take me to the job sites, and we'd walk into these fancy rich people's houses because he was redoing the kitchen or the basement or whatever. And he'd, you know, he'd, he'd let go of my hand as I'd be carrying tools for him. And he'd say, now, Robbie, look up at the ceiling. Don't look at the wall with full. Look up at the ceiling. And you can appreciate the previous carpenter if he did a perfect 45-degree cut on the two moldings when they came to, together to make the 90-degree corner of the ceiling, see if they were off or on. And he would always, like, point out, yeah, they missed it. And he hated the shoddy work. He just hated that people were sloppy. They didn't take pride in what they did. And let me tell you, yesterday in surgery, I'm doing complicated knee surgeries and hip surgeries. And all I think about is pride in your work. And you learn that from a master carpenter who didn't go to college, but he went to the school of hard knocks. And I'm glad that he graduated with honors from the school of hard knocks. How young are you? And what do you do I'll for be, a living? I'll be uh, 64 next uh, uh, next Friday. Me and the Conseco twins, oh, and wow. Uh, wow. I uh, I uh, I'm retired, but I do uh, some part time work in in parking lots, and I also work with kids in sports programs. Nice. Where did you grow up? San Pedro, and then but I've been around. Lived in Orange County. Lived in Arizona. Lived in Kansas City, but most of my time in San Pedro. So I got to tell you my only San Pedro story. And I know Petros is from down there and his dad had a restaurant. That's the only other thing I know about San Pedro. 
But I get asked a lot to be an expert in court. Can you imagine me as an expert in court with Clapper Vision? You know, it's like, uh, it's just hilarious to go into be, be in the witness stand and teach the jury what's going on, whatever injury took place. It's really kind of fun. So over the years, I've been in pretty much every courthouse. So I get asked to go to this big case, and it's being held in the San Pedro courthouse. And I walk in, I go, you know, I've never been here before. But this place looks so damn familiar in the courtroom, in the the witness stand, in the jury box. I'm going, I, I've never been here before, but damn, this looks familiar. You know why? You know why it looked familiar to me? Because this is where they filmed Perry Mason. The TV show I used to watch when I was a kid was filmed in the San Pedro courthouse. Fantastic. So how can I help you? What you do to yourself? What you hurt? Oh, I think we lost him. Hey, Andy in San Pedro. We'll wait for you to call. Wait, I think there's something happening. Is he back? All right, Andy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Doc. Okay, cool. We don't want to lose you. You're special. You know that? I don't need to lose you. How can I help you? What you hurt? Well, uh, about 12 weeks ago, which is longer than I'm thinking, a lady without a mask was down the street, and I tried to avoid her and rolled uh, my ankle on, on a, a curbside, and I thought it was a bad sprain, and, and then we, uh, but then the pain didn't go away, swelling went down, uh, then I decided, well, I better get an x-ray, and then they diagnosed it as a non-displaced fracture of the fifth metatarsal. Um, I've been in a hard boot, I've been in a soft boot, but Doc, it's been 12 weeks, it hasn't healed, and, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm fine with the soft boot getting around, but now, you know, I want to start doing more things. I want to coach again in the fall when the kids get back to school. Mm. And I'm saying, well, is there anything else that can be done for me instead of just letting it heal? Because um, I attempted, you know, with work restrictions and such, they insisted I work with a regular shoe, and I did it for two days. Yeah, and then the second day after 12 hours, you know, I, got, I had the recurring pain that I had, say, uh, eight weeks ago. So I I'm think wondering, it's, it's is not there anything healing. I can do or yes. to alleviate this or better it? So you ready for some clapper vision? You want me to explain what's going on in your foot? Clapper Absolutely. Vision. All right. The pinky toe, the little toe in your foot, is um, constructed with the main portion, the biggest bone in the mid portion of your foot, you may see the nail bed and the little toe, but in the mid portion of your foot, between your ankle and the tips of your toes, remember there's 26 bones that make up your foot, that bone is called the metatarsal. And a clapper vision is that bone is exactly like a yellow pencil. The shaft of the bone, a fancy word, is called the diaphysis. The eraser is called the epiphysis. And that metal, you know how you have that metal housing that attaches the rubber eraser to the wooden pencil? That's the metaphysis. What's interesting about bones is, yes, they, they're the two-by-fours of your house. They're the two-by-four. They're the structures that make up your body. The sheetrock or the tendons and the muscles. You know, we can get into all the beautiful metaphors of a house in your body. The two-by-four is that metatarsal. It's like a pencil with those three different parts. The shaft, the diaphysis, the eraser, the epiphysis, and the connection, that metal area, the metaphysis. 
and the tendons that attach to these different parts of the bone. Well, there's a very important tendon that attaches to the eraser and metal portion of the pencil, of the metaphysis. And that tendon, the perineus brevis, is coming and wrapping around the back of your ankle to help you evert your foot. So every time you move your foot, guess what's happening? That cable, that tendon is pulling on the bone and causing the bone to separate. Well, in order for a fracture to heal, the two ends of the bone need to kiss each other. They need to touch each other. If there's compression, fractures will heal. But if there is tension pulling apart biomechanically, then it ain't going to heal. And what's worse is the blood supply. So whether you're Kevin Durant, Michael Jordan, Pau Gasol, I could go on so many basketball players who have what's known as a Jones fracture, named after Sir Robert Jones, the turn of the last century, no x-rays, went got drunk, went dancing one night, diagnosed, he was an orthopedic surgeon, his own fracture. The hell yeah. Because he went dancing and that tendon pulled so severely on that bone and created the fracture in that location. And that's why we call it a Jones fracture. They are notoriously bad healers. That is why Kevin Durant didn't just have one surgery. He had, remember, three surgeries on his Jones fracture. Pau Gasol had to have surgery on his Jones fracture, and so did Michael Jordan early in his career and many, many, many other basketball players. So what you're dealing with, Andy, in San Pedro, is a Jones fracture, and you're dealing with it in a location probably where the diaphysis meets the metaphysis, where the yellow shaft meets that metal portion of the pencil. And that circulation there and the pull of that tendon are making for a bad recipe of healing. So after 12 weeks at 64, you should be healed. You should not be having pain anymore. So I'm suspicious. You know, I can see through the radio. I have a gift. It's called clapper vision. I can see your foot through the the radio. And I am telling you, you're going to need more than an x-ray right now. You'll need a CAT scan and an MRI to see if, in fact, you have a non-union or a delayed union of your Jones fracture. So, you got a pencil? I'm going to give you some names. Speaking of clapper-vision pencils, there's two orthopedic surgeons that I trust who are wonderful. One is an older guy and one is a younger guy. Both of them have been guests on this show. They're both at Cedars, and they're awesome, and they will do you right. They will encourage you, hang in there, maybe this will go on to heal, or they will tell you straight up, this ain't going to heal, and you're going to need surgery, which is very simply to put a screw in it to, to kiss, to compress those two bones together. The senior one, his name is David Thordeson. Love him. Been around forever, and he is a wise elder in our community, and he's at Cedars. David Thordeson. You can look him up. And the other is a young pup who we've had as a guest who's so nice, smart, capable, and you'll be impressed. So if Thordeson's on vacation, he you know, can't see you right or whatever, you'll go to him. His name is Max Mahalski. M-I-C-H-A-L-S-K-I. Max Mahalski. Also at Cedars. 
and you call them and you tell them you're a weekend warrior, Dr. Clapper sent you, they'll get all excited. And then you need to check in with me and let me know what happens because I'll be thinking about you. Okay, Andy? Sounds good. Sounds good, Doc. Well, one quick question. Uh, yes, sir. Why reopened? I'm wearing a surf boot. Can I get back to my swimming if I'm very careful? No, because of the tendon. You're still going to kick your foot in the water, and that is a deforming force on your foot. So my answer is I can't wait. I put up people in the pool. I write books about getting in the pool. As we say in New York, for you right now, forget about it. You can't do it. Appreciate it, Doc. Thanks now listen, for Andy. You do. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Listen, to me, you're a total stranger, and I just did something nice for you. I want you to find today somebody, a total stranger. You do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Will do, Doc. All right. Thank God, you so much. God bless you, Andy. All right, Warriors. Take a break. We'll pay some pills. I got to tell you what happened in the operating room. Don't let me forget Steve Paulette. You know, I'm getting old. I'm going to be 64 next month. My birthday's next month. Damn right. But I need to tell you what I did yesterday in the operating room to make sure that man's sciatic nerve was okay. It was so elegant and so simple in such a complicated hip surgery. I'll explain. The number's 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. John Ireland, you know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Google the Guggenheim. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. guy's first name is Abraham. I can't. Yes, he is from Hawaii. Is unfortunately passed away. But there is a spirit of aloha in this song. And that's what we're talking about today. As it relates to Mark Spitz, my guest at 815, who exemplifies how proud he made us all as Americans winning all those Olympic gold medals. Seven in one Olympics, and every one a world's record. But his childhood, from the shores of Waikiki. And that's why Steve Paulette's playing this song, because when you hear this man sing, you can feel the trade winds. You can look up at the palm trees swaying in the wind and feel that warm water. And that ocean is so powerful. This is why I love to surf in the waters of Hawaii. It's where Duke Kahanamoku at age four was thrown in the ocean by his dad and said, save yourself or drown. A lovely way to do swimming lessons. 
but it's also where Bruno Mars started his career and launched him. And he said to his mom and dad, I ain't going back. I'll go back to visit, but I'm, I came to L.A. to make it. And met Ari Levine from Englewood, New Jersey. And they started writing songs together. And Bruno Mars is on top of the world. He is a runaway baby. So let me take you into the operating room with me. My first case yesterday, I do the more complicated cases first. 55-year-old man, very active his whole life, but he was born where the ball in the socket of his hip did not match. Congenitally dislocated hip. And because of that damage as a child, his leg never grew to be to the right length. So it's just like here's a clapper vision. The alignment in your car is off. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to wear your tires out prematurely. If the alignment in your body is out, one leg is almost an inch shorter than the other, you're going to wear that cartilage out prematurely. And he is one tough hombre, this guy. He's a New Yorker, which is what's part of this story. And he came to me. He had seen everybody in town. He came to me and said, okay, Dr. Clapper, you're it. You're a sculptor. I don't trust anybody else. You're going to do my hip surgery. And I started thinking about this. I've done complicated, many complicated surgeries in the past over my career. But this one was particularly going to be tough because he really, really wanted me to see if I could give him his length and make his legs equal. And they've never been his entire life. So as you're growing from a skeletally immature kid to an adult, the artery needs to be stretched, the skin, the nerve, the tendon. Well, you can stretch tendons and you can stretch other things, but you cannot stretch a nerve if it doesn't want to be stretched because it will go to sleep and you will lose power, power to move muscles and the ability to feel things. So you'll have a numb leg and you'll have a leg that doesn't work if you damage that nerve in the surgery. So I was nervous in a good way taking it seriously. How am I going to do this? I don't want to disappoint him, but I'm not the boss. And he had so much confidence in me, and I appreciate that. So yesterday, I took him to surgery. And when I do hip surgery, I like to turn patients on their side and position them on the table. So if it's your right hip, you're lying down on your left side, and you prep and drape the right hip. You feel the landmarks. I can feel the bones through the skin, and I figure out exactly where the incision's going to be. It's a much smaller incision than what it used to be because our surgeries are so much more elegant now than they used to be. And you don't cut the muscle like we used to. It's called minimally invasive. You spread the muscle. But this is a surgery where I'm going to be trying to lengthen this man, and I'm not going to find anatomy that used to be normal that now wore out. His anatomy never was normal, and it wore out. So it's really difficult, but I'm excited. I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I, I, this is a challenge that I embrace. And I told him in pre-op, during the surgery, I'm going to have to test that I didn't lengthen you 
more than the nerve can handle because I don't want the nerve to go to sleep where you won't be able to lift your foot. You'll have a foot drop. And I told him in pre-op, during the surgery, in the middle of the surgery, your hip is filleted open. I'm looking at inside the center of your body. I'm going to wake you up. I know there's nerve studies I can do, nerve electronic evaluations. The spine surgeons do it all the time, but I don't trust any of that stuff. I trust one thing, a simple test that I learned many, many years ago. And it's called a wake-up test. And I told him in pre-op, before I did the surgery, I'm going to wake you up in the middle of the operation. And I'm going to ask you to do this. And I showed him to move your foot up. Plantar flexion is stepping on the gas to drive. Lifting your foot off the, up off the gas pedal, that's dorsiflexion. I said, I'm going to ask you to dorsiflex, to lift your foot up in the middle of the surgery, and then I'm going to put you back to sleep. Okay, Dr. Clapper. So here comes the funny. I, I debated whether I would tell you this story today, but I'm going to. He's from New York. That's why I'm telling you this. Middle of the surgery, beautifully restore a new hemisphere to his socket. I beautifully recreated, sculpted a new femur, top of his femur bone. And it was a struggle, really tight. Carlos and, and Adolfo helped me, as well as Sandy Lee, my physician assistant. And boom, we, we put the ball into the socket. But I don't know, is it too much for the nerve? So there I am in the middle of the surgery. The anesthesiologist knew, and I said, okay, wake him up. And I wake him up, and I say his name. Okay. You're awake now. <laughs> move your foot. And he doesn't move his foot up. And now I'm going, oh, my God. Did I stretch his nerve too much? Move your foot, I said. He didn't move his foot. And then I realize he's from New York. He doesn't understand what I'm saying. He's half asleep. And then I say his name. Move your effing foot. <laughs> Because he's from New York. This is how New Yorkers talk to each other. Move your effing foot. Damn right. And guess what? His foot came right up. <laughs> and I looked at the anesthesiologist, God bless her, J-Lo we call her, and she's like laughing. I could see her laughing underneath the mask because I just did an F-bomb with this guy to get him to move his foot. And she looks at me and I look at her and I said, you know, it's a language barrier. <laughs> I speak New York. He speaks New York. He don't understand move your foot up. He understands move your effing foot up. And he did. And it's such a beautiful, his x-ray looks so gorgeous. It's such, it's like a beautiful Michelangelo sculpture when I look at that x-ray. All right, we have to talk about food. I'll do briefly. There is a new discovery I've made. La Victoria salsa on my eggs is what I do every morning. But I discovered something, and I give credit to the great Jersey Mike sandwich shop. My mouth is watering already. Because they introduced me to something you put on your food that makes it turbocharged. And they're called cherry peppers. So I went hunting for these cherry peppers to put on my salsa, as if it isn't spicy enough, on my eggs in the morning cherry peppers it's called hoagie that's the name for a sandwich in philadelphia i think a hoagie it's called 
hoagie spread. And there's a company that makes this stuff. A whole jar of crushed cherry peppers. Put them on mayonnaise with like a roast beef sandwich. Put them on anything you eat. I can't even speak. I got so much saliva in my mouth right now. And the company that makes it is called Cento, C-E-N-T-O. And I can only find it at one store. A little later in the show, I'll tell you where in L.A. you can get Cento Cherry Peppers Hoagie Spread. It's the greatest thing you can add to your food and will blow your mind. All right, coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories. Stories about the magic of growing up in Waikiki, Hawaii. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar Sinai, head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. <laughs> 